You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. So today we're continuing our series called Sunday School. And two weeks ago, Kim preached, did a wonderful job last week. Pastor Colin, our Blairsville campus pastor, did a wonderful job bringing the word. And I would encourage you to get caught up. But basically what we're doing is we're just taking some stories that are Bible basics in a lot of ways and walking them out and helping you see the, the, the truth from these stories that maybe if you grew up in church, you know. Um, but if you grew up in church, something like this might look familiar to you. Because I grew up in church when I was little. We didn't have screens. I sound like an old man when I say that. (laughs) In my day, we didn't have screens in the kids' classrooms. And I sound like an old prospector when I say that too, I realize. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you kids. Uh, But we had something like this. It was a flannel board. It was smaller. And the teacher in the class, she would have the figures cut out on the flannel board. And she would tell the story that way. And so... Obviously, these are not to scale because this would be a very small whale or a very large man. But these are not drawn to scale, but they would use these to illustrate the story for the children. And they would place them on the board. And, and if you don't know what this story is about, it clearly is about Kenny Rogers. That's what this is about. <laughs> Kenny Rogers fell into a pool in his bathrobe. And that's what this is, if you didn't know. So... Um, but these, these pictures would help tell the story and illustrate the story for the children. And, and what we're really trying to do during the series is illustrate these truths to us, help you understand um, some deep truths from some Bible basic stories. And the story we're looking at today is a story about Jonah. Now, some of you that have been around church, maybe you're familiar with this story to some degree, but if, if you were gonna tell me the story, you might start by saying it's the story of Jonah and the, Jonah and the whale. But here's the thing, the whale's only mentioned very, very briefly in this story. It really has very little to do with the whale, but the whale gets billing. As you can see, even visually, the whale is the most prominent figure on this board because we think of the whale a lot. And we think it's a a kid's story, but this really isn't a kid's story at all. Uh, Most of us, if I asked you about this story, you could tell me Jonah was swallowed by a whale and that's about it. But there is so much more depth to this. And here's the thing. Sometimes we think about these as kids' stories and we paint illustrations of this on like kids' walls in their nursery or in, you know, a kid's wing of a church. But these are not very kid-friendly stories a lot of times. Um, If if the story of Jonah was made into a a feature-length film, It definitely would not be G-rated. It definitely would not be PG-rated. It may be PG-13. If they avoided a few things and left some stuff out. But this is a difficult story. And and sometimes we think Jonah is a hero. I want to help you with this right off the bat. Jonah is no hero. Jonah is not the guy that we want to base our lives on or after at all. We'll get into that in just a moment. Um, If you wanna go deeper in this story, there's a couple things you can do. One, there's a great book by Tim Keller. It's called The Prodigal Prophet. Um, It's a wonderful book that goes deeper and you can explore more truth about Jonah in Tim's book. It really is a fantastic resource. I've read it. Um, And a couple things I'll mention today are from the book. 
Another thing that I would encourage you to do, you can go back and listen to our sermon series on the book of Jonah from July of 2020. You can go to our sermon archive and you can find it there, um, either the audio or the video. Um, And we did four weeks on the book of Jonah, chapter by chapter, walked it out together. And so we go into more depth there than we'll, we'll be able to today. So let me just start here by saying this. The book of Jonah is unique for three reasons. The first reason is this. Uh, Jonah is a story about the prophet. Typically, prophetic books are not about the prophet. It's about what the prophet says. Uh, We know very little about most of the prophets, but Jonah is different because the story is about him. Uh, Jonah was called to Gentiles. Usually, the prophets are called to prophesy to Jews. But in this case, God speaks to him to go to non-Jewish people. And this is significant. And then the third thing that's significant about the book of Jonah is the book of Jonah is kind of this turning point for the Jewish people that it helped them see that God loves bad people. And when I say bad, I want to say it in quotes, bad people, right? Aren't you grateful that God loves bad people? If not, um, we would all be in trouble. What we're gonna see is that Jonah was in a place where he thought, well, I'm Jewish, so I'm good. And those people that aren't Jewish, they're bad. And sometimes we do this. Well, I go to church, so I'm good. And those people who don't go to church, they're bad. And God loves me because I go to church. God loves me because I'm Jewish. So that must be why I get to go to heaven and spend eternity with God. And this is kind of Jonah's idea. And we'll get into this more in just a moment. But it's this revelation that God loves bad people. God sent Jesus for all mankind, not just for one group or social class or ideology, for all of us. So let me jump into Jonah chapter one, verse one. It says this, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Now it's my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked the people are. Now Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian empire and the Assyrians were the major world power on the scene at this time. Uh, They were globally dominant. Uh, In many ways, they were known as the terrorists of that age because they were so brutal in relation to uh, the neighboring nations and the people that they would conquer. And we don't have time to get into all of it today, but the Assyrians, uh, it was not uncommon for them when they would conquer people to just kill them. But they wouldn't just kill them. What they would do many times is they would chop off both of their legs and one of their arms. And the reason they would leave one arm and one hand is so that as they are dying, they could shake their hand in mockery. Now, these sound like they're delightful people, aren't they? This is the part that you definitely don't want on the mural in your kid's kid's room, right? If you walked your kid into Sunday school and you're like, oh, it's Jonah in the, what is that part? And they're like, well, it's biblically accurate. So that's why we did it this way. You'd be like, I'm taking my kid out of this church, right? That would be a problem. But this is the way the Assyrians were. They were, they were um, well-versed in the way of warfare. It was part of their culture. It was part of their identity. Uh, some would even say it was part of the way they worshiped. It was a form of worship to wage war against others. So God says to him, go, go and prophesy to them. And listen to what happens in verse three. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. The prophet, the man of God, 
He hears the voice of God. And here's the thing. Many of us have prayed, God, tell me what to do. I need to hear your voice. And we haven't heard his voice. Jonah heard his voice. And he did the opposite. He said, I know what you're saying to do, and I am not going to do it. I am going to do the opposite of what you're saying to do. I'm not even going to kind of pretend like I'll go that direction and kind of like, you know, kick the sand as I'm going, like reluctantly. He's like, nah, I'm going the opposite direction of what you are telling me to do. Now, this feels weird because here's the thing. In many ways, the book of Jonah is a satire because you have many people behaving in ways you don't expect them to behave. For instance, you have the man of God being totally disobedient to God. You have him doing the opposite of what God tells him to do. And and here is part of the thing that we see, not just in the book of Jonah, but really throughout the whole meta-narrative of scripture, even into our lives today. There are two paths that we have before us. It's God's way and my way. And the, all of scripture, all of the story of Jesus is an invitation to live our lives God's way instead of my way. And even in this moment, God says, here is my way to Jonah. And Jonah says, I'm going to do it my way. And we see this over and over and over again. So why would a prophet, why would a man of God act this way? Well, we mentioned this a moment ago. The first thing is probably this. He was probably afraid. He knows who these people are. He knows what they're like. He knows how brutal they are. And prophets weren't known for their uh, tact. They would bring um, judgment on the people that they were bringing this word to. And he knew if I bring judgment on these people, they're gonna kill me. And I don't wanna be dead, so I will do something else. The other thing is probably this. Now, it doesn't say this explicitly, but I think we can infer this, is that he probably hated the Assyrians. Now, part of this was because of how brutal they were. Um, But I think one of the things we can see through biblical context is that there were a couple of prophets, Amos and Hosea, who prophesied against the king of Israel, who um, was aligned with Jonah and this king of Israel. um, His name was Jeroboam II. And so these two prophets prophesied against him, but Jonah prophesied for him. And if you were a contemporary, if you were a kind of a modern reader of the story of Jonah, you would look at Jonah with a little bit of um, suspicion probably. Because you would know that, I'm just gonna use the word nationalist. He was a nationalist. Now, the word nationalist in our culture today has all kinds of different meanings and implications. Um, In many ways, people avoid being called a nationalist because it has some negative connotations to it. But but, but basically, let me me sum this up for the purpose of our conversation. Um, Jonah was a nationalist in that I believe Jonah valued his nationality above his relationship with God. He, he prioritized his identity as Israeli above his identity as a son of God. And because he did that, it misaligned some things. It caused him some, to see some things differently than he should have. Um, and if we're not careful, we can do the same thing. And so I, my goal is to offend everybody, and I'm on my way. So here we go. I would say that I have nationalistic pride. I love our country. 
I think America is the greatest nation that is in existence today. And, and I could make an argument that it's the greatest nation that's ever existed. It does not mean it's perfect. It does not mean it's without flaw, but it means it is a really great, benevolent, caring nation in many, many ways. You can make the case. With that said, I love our country, but I don't love our country as much as I love God. Jesus is king of my heart, period. I love the country, but I don't love it nearly as much as I love Jesus. So I filter things, not through my nationality or not through my patriotic pride, but through my identity as a Christian. What does the Bible say? What does the character of God say about this? I filter it through that first and that helps determine course and direction for my life. Now, this is not what Jonah did. Jonah filtered things through his feelings and his emotions for his nationality. And because he did that, it took him in different directions than it probably should have. And we will see this played out in just a little bit. But one of the things Jonah runs into is something that I think we do regularly. We have the same problem. Jonah comes to this moment where he says, I, I hate the Assyrians. I'm gonna get killed if I go. So why should I go? God, I don't see any good reason for you to command what you're commanding. Therefore, there must not be a good reason. So because I don't understand what you're telling me to do, I'm not going to do it. I'm exempt from being obedient to you. Now this happens all the time. Believe me, I have lots of conversations with people who will say things like, well, why would the Bible say that? Because this is how I feel. Well, if, if God knew what things would be like today, I don't think that would be in the Bible. Really? God, God didn't see this coming? Is that what you're saying? Like, I don't like that God very much. But you don't understand, this is how I feel about this person. So how could this be wrong? Because it feels good, even though it's contrary to what the Bible says. And this is what we end up doing. We end up cherry picking the word of God and going, well, I like this and I like this, but I don't like that. So I'm gonna reject that. And basically what we're saying is, since I don't understand something, I am exempt from it. Since I don't understand why God would have me do something, I'm exempt from obedience. This is what Jonah said, essentially. I don't understand why I'd have to go. I don't understand why they would um, need to be prophesied to. So because I don't understand it, I'm not gonna do it. I'm going in the opposite direction. And this is what he does. And really what he's doing is questioning God's character. He's questioning his goodness. Because he's saying, God, how could you love these people? These people are irredeemable. They're evil. They're horrible. I could never love an Assyrian. Oh gosh, this isn't my notes. I'm gonna get into your business a little more. How could God ever love a Democrat? How could God ever love a Republican? Can I tell you something? I've had these conversations with people in our church on both ends of that spectrum. What, what are we doing? Well, we're going, well, God needs to love what I love and God needs to think like I think. And what we're saying is, does God really know what's best? Because I know some things. I've experienced some things. And this is where Jonah's at. He doesn't understand him. So he leaves and he goes down to Joppa and he goes down into the boat and he finds a place to sleep. So in verse four, it says, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm and it threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help. 
and threw cargo overboard to lighten their ship. So I want, to, I want you to understand the scene here. Um, the, the storm brews, God, by the way, God sends the storm. More on that in a second. Meanwhile, Jonah is down in the, the bowels of the ship and he is asleep. But there's a storm raging. The people are freaking out and they are so desperate to lighten the load that they are throwing their cargo overboard. Now, let me help you with something. Um, if you are shipping cargo from one place to another and you don't make it to the destination with your cargo, you are not getting paid for the cargo. So these men are literally throwing money overboard because they know we're not gonna get paid. They're so afraid that they're gonna lose their lives that they are shedding the thing that gives them their livelihood. And they're crying out to their gods. They're freaking out. What's gonna happen? God hurled a powerful wind over the sea. God sent a storm. Now, if you've been around Summit, we've talked about this. Um, I don't believe that God causes children to be born with cancer. I don't believe that God causes you to get into a car wreck. God is not punitive in that way. God is restorative. God wants to restore. He wants to redirect. He wants to redeem. So God will use storms for his glory, but God does not send storms to punish you. So God sent a storm to Jonah, but the storm wasn't because he was mad. Like, oh, I can't believe Jonah didn't follow my direction. I'll get him. I'll show him who's boss. God was sending the storm to redirect Jonah to where he wanted him to be. This was course correction for Jonah. God loves Jonah. And God said, I'm gonna send a storm into your life to get you to where I need you to be. Maybe the storm was not a curse or a punishment, but maybe the storm was a blessing. Because God loved Jonah so much, he said, I have got a destination I want you to get to. And the only way you're gonna get to that destination is if I send this storm into your life. And so God causes the storm to blow up. But this is what I want you to understand. That storm that comes into your life won't just affect you, it's gonna affect the people in your boat as well. So how do those storms come? Well, every sin in my life that's unrepentant will usher in a storm of correction. Every sin that is not repentant in my life, that I don't repent of, every sin that becomes a habitual, normal, everyday part of my life is going to attract a storm because God's trying to bring correction into my life. He's trying to say, hey, you've gotten off course. You're heading for a destination I didn't want you to go to. So I'm trying to correct your course right now by sending a storm into your life. But that storm, it impacts everybody on my boat. The people you love, the people in your life that you think, oh, this is no big deal. They don't have to know about this secret sin in my life. I'm just gonna do this and it'll never hurt anybody. No, no, you have to understand when the storm hits, everybody in your boat is gonna be freaking out. These sailors thought they were gonna lose their lives. They were crying out to their gods. So what do they do? They go down into the ship and they wake Jonah up. See, every sin is a, attached to a storm, but not every storm is attached to a sin. Sometimes storms are just storms because we live in a fallen, broken world. But sometimes those storms are corrective because we have sin in our life and God is trying to get our attention. And this was definitely that case. Verse 14, they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, let me back up. Here's what happens. Um, they go into the boat 
And they're like, Jonah, you're asleep. Why are you asleep? We're all gonna die. And he's like, oh, sorry. And he wait, and gets the croutons out of his eyes. Like, what happened? Where am I? And he, they say, what is going on? Cry out to your God. We're crying out to our God. We're trying to cover all of our bases, but nothing's working. And so they cry out to their gods, nothing changes. And so they cast lots to figure out whose fault it is. And they, it lands on Jonah. And they're like, Jonah, what did you do? And he said, well, I'm Jewish. I'm, uh, our God is the one true God. He's the God of the land and the sea, which is ironic that he said he's the God of the land and the sea, but he's running from him to try to get away from him. And he tells him what he did. And they're like, why did you do that? These pagan sailors are like, you idiot, why did you do that? They know better, right? And they said, how do we get this to stop? And he says, well, throw me over the side, kill me. And they're like, no, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna keep rowing and hopefully that'll work itself out. And it does not work itself out. So finally they relent and they're like, okay, we gotta throw you over the side. There's nothing else we can do. And it says this in verse 14, then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God, oh Lord, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death, oh Lord. You have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. At once the storm stopped. That was it. It says the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Again, this is satire. The man of God is running from God. He won't listen to God. He won't be obedient to God. The pagan sailors who are just serving other gods, they recognize, man, this God is the one true God of power. Uh, we're not gonna do it our way anymore. We're gonna do it your way. Your way is better than our way, God. And they worshiped him. And when Jonah was thrown overboard, Jonah wasn't like, well, throw me overboard with a lifeboat and we'll figure this out. Another boat will pick me up at some point. When he was thrown overboard, he knew this is a death sentence. And we'll see this played out in a minute. But, but Jonah, just understand his place, his mental space. He would rather die than do what God told him to do. I'd rather be killed than be obedient to God. This was the man of God. This was the prophet that was responding this way. So he goes into the deep. Now, it's interesting, if you look at the whole story and you read through it, there's several places where it says went down. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the boat. Uh, he went down into the sea when he's thrown over. Several times it says this. Now, this is uh, a euphemism in the Hebrew language for death. So I want you to understand this. Every step away from God's purpose and plan for your life, when it says he went in the opposite direction, he went down to Joppa, what it's saying is he took steps away from God to death. This is why when we baptize people, they go underwater. When we, we do full immersion here, so you're baptized in water, you go under the water, and this is representative of us being buried, of us dying with Christ. We go down into the water. That's what this represents. And when he goes down to Joppa, down to the boat, down into the water, this represents death. In a very real way, he was dying because he was disobedient. He was moving away from God. So as he is literally sinking in this water, I can't imagine what was going through his mind. 
But it says in verse 17, the Lord arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, when I was a kid and I would imagine this, I always imagined, do you remember the movie Pinocchio? And Monstro ate Pinocchio and Geppetto. And Pinocchio and Geppetto are just hanging out in Monstro. Like they're fishing over the side. Like they're camping. They're basically camping in Monstro, right? They're just hanging out. This is what I imagined Jonah was doing for three days. It was like a little retreat, like a little getaway for Jonah. He was like, oh, I've been so busy lately. I need to get away. Three days and three nights in this belly of the whale. Sounds awesome, right? Now, I don't know. Uh, what the conditions were exactly, but it definitely was not what I imagined when I was a kid. Um, it was probably more akin to him being in utero, like a baby before a baby is born, like squished and confined and constricted in the belly of this great fish or this whale. And while he's there, he prays. So all of chapter two is just this prayer of repentance. And it's not really a prayer of repentance because if somebody repents, but they don't really change their behavior, then they're not really repentant. And so what we see as the story plays out is his heart really isn't repentant, um, but God saves him. So in chapter two, verse 10, it says, the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. So I want you to catch this. We'll see this again. God is orchestrating this whole thing. God is saying, I've got someplace I want you to be that you need to be. And I'm gonna help you get there if you will just stop acting a fool. He will orchestrate events and plans and people and circumstances in your life to get you to where you need to be if you'll be halfway submitted to him, I promise. So Jonah is spit up onto the beach. He journeys to Nineveh, which was not a short journey from the beach. But he says in verse one, the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Aren't you glad that God gives us second chances? There's two of us, maybe. Is there nobody else that's glad that God gives us second chances? The folks in Blairsville are very glad that God gives us second chances. I'm grateful for that. So he says to him, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day that Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And you'd think that immediately they're like, you're dead, we're gonna kill you, right? But that's not the response. He, he spoke five words in Hebrew. Now, we can infer that he probably preached a longer message than that. He probably said more to, to them than that, but maybe not. But there are five words recorded in the Hebrew text that he said, and the people do respond. Verse five, the people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. So they said, hey, we believe what you're saying and we're gonna humble ourselves. So when they put on burlap, it was, a, it was a sign of humility. It was an outward sign of humility. They would take off their clothes that would separate them or the, the way they would adorn themselves and they would clothe themselves with burlap. Now it was an outward sign, but it was also a reminder because it was scratchy and itchy, it was uncomfortable. And they were saying, we're willing to be uncomfortable. We're willing to humble ourselves before the Lord to, to find favor with him. From the greatest to the least, they said, we need to do whatever we need to do, right? 
Um, and it's interesting, if you look at the historical record, there was actually a number of different celestial events um, that occurred. There was, um, there, was a, um, there was an eclipse that happened. There were some different, um, different comets, things like that. There were celestial signs, but then there was also a famine. There was also an earthquake, some different things that happened in the Assyrian empire. The historians say this probably softened them up for Jonah. So when Jonah showed up, they were, they were ready to hear this kind of message. And they responded. They said, we're gonna fast. We're gonna do whatever it takes. Skip down to verse seven. It says, then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. You think our fasts are hardcore where it's like, yeah, I'm not gonna eat meat for the you know, first three weeks of the, the, the year. You think that's hard? Try getting your dog not to eat, right? Like I'm tying my dog's mouth shut. Lulu, sorry, dog, you're not gonna eat during this fast. That's how serious they were about their fast. And it goes on to say, people and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. Can you imagine reading this in your family and you're like, wait a second, gar garments of mourning? Do we have any garments of mourning for our animals? It's like, no, we gotta make some burlap garments of mourning for our, our herds and our flocks and our animals. It's like, oh, do, do we have a pattern for that? Is there like, you go on the internet, like Google, Google that and see what comes up, right? I don't even know what you would do. And I can make jokes about this, but listen, this is how serious they were. They say, God, we want to find favor with you. God, we want to humble ourselves and we will go to any length necessary. There's something about what they're doing that I find really appealing. That I go, God, give me a heart like that. That says, God, whatever it takes. Even if it seems crazy. And then listen to what it says. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell, perhaps yet, uh, even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. He said they must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. The, the word for violence in the Hebrew is Hamas, and it just means violence, wrong, cruelty, injustice. There's another translation that says the violence in our hands. And the Assyrians recognized we are a violent, unjust people. That's who we are. That's part of our culture. That's what's in our heart. And we need to lay this down. We need to change. And so they, they said, God, whatever it takes. They recognize there's violence in our hands. And, and we can placate ourselves and go, oh, we're good because we go to church. We don't have violence in our hands. But we do. I've been on Facebook enough in the last few weeks to see violence in our hands. When people don't agree with us, when we feel offended by something someone else says, there's violence in our hands many times. We have Hamas toward others. So even though we're not Assyrian, even though we don't cut off people's legs, there's still violence in our hands. And it's ironic because Jonah didn't recognize the violence in his own hands. He hated the Assyrians. He hated them with a burning passion. He, he wanted them punished for the way they had been and what they had done. And even the prophet, this man of God, had violence in his hands. Verse 10, when God saw what they had done, 
and how they had stopped, uh, put a stop to their evil ways. He changed his mind, did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Wait a second. God relented. There's a revival. What we're going to see is there were 120,000 people in Nineveh. They get saved. That is the greatest revival, right, in the history of the church. If you're a church planner and you have 120,000 people show up to church the first time, that's a pretty good day, right? You had 120,000 people respond for salvation, like that's an award. You should stop right there. You're not gonna do better than that. You think he'd be calling his buddies, he'd be posting it on Instagram, all the stuff. He didn't. You know what he did? Jonah 4.1, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. Why did he become very angry? Because he hated the Assyrians. He didn't want them to repent. He didn't want them to come to faith in Jesus. Now, you could split hairs with me. Faith in God. Jesus wasn't there yet. He didn't want it because he wanted them to pay. Now, think about this for a second. What if your ex-wife or your ex-husband showed up to church and they got saved? Some of you would be like, I'm so happy for you. I'm so glad. Yay. But you'd struggle because there'd be part of you that'd be like, you need to pay for what you did to me. There's Hamas in your heart toward that person. See, Jonah struggled with this because for him, there was something that was higher valued than God. See, his heart was not in alignment with God's because he wanted something different than what God wanted. He was angry. In fact, the word for angry here is a word that means the burning rage. Jonah was raging against God. This is what he says. He complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord, That is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. So his anger is is twofold, in my opinion. It's twofold. Number one, it's he's embarrassed. You shamed me. I said this was gonna happen. I'm the man, I have the authority, and then it didn't happen. I look like a fool. And then the second thing was they deserved it. They don't deserve your mercy. They have not earned your mercy. They have not earned your forgiveness. They're bad people. And here's the problem. Jonah wanted a God that looks like he did. It's crazy how, how much God looks like me. Did you know that? He votes like me. He loves what I love. In his free time, God loves to work on his Jeep. It's crazy. Did you, know, you didn't know that? It's true. See, we all make God into our image. We all imagine God loves the things we love and does the things we do and values the things we value. He votes like we vote. Again, I've talked to Republicans and Democrats that have said things like, how could a Democrat be a Christian? And how could any Christian vote for Donald Trump? I've had those conversations. And we believe God probably looks like we look. And more importantly, I think Jonah was upset because God didn't hate what he hated. God, I hate these Assyrians. 
Why don't you hate these Assyrians? God, I hate those Democrats. God, I hate those Republicans. He was angry. See, we need to stop shaping God into our image and allow God to shape us into his image. This was part of Jonah's problem. He, he loved his nationality more than he loved God. And because he loved his nationality more, that shaped his thinking, it shaped his values. And because it shaped his values, he could not understand how a loving God could love these Assyrians because his nationality dictated that these guys are not good guys. These guys cannot be trusted, cannot be loved, and definitely cannot be forgiven. But if he would have ordered his affections correctly and understood the heart of God, even just a little bit, he would have understood that I don't deserve the mercy of God but yet I receive it. But he couldn't see that. So listen to God's reply. After he's just raged at God, listen to what God says. He's such, he's such a, a loving, benevolent father. He says this, is it right for you to be angry about this? Is it right for you to be angry about this? And what he's asking is, is this anger that you have in your heart, does it leading to righteousness? Now, <clears throat> there is an anger, a holy anger, that, that leads to righteousness, but it is a very narrow spectrum of anger. It is not the normal anger that we deal with. Somebody cuts us off and we're like, I'm gonna show them some righteousness, right? Like, that's not what we're talking about. It is, it is an anger over the things that make God angry. And I can tell you, this was not something that made God angry. God was rejoicing over this. So he asks him, this, asks him this question. Is it right for you to be angry about this? Is this leading to righteousness? And then God illustrates it for him. I love this. So Jonah, he's, he's a petulant child. I'm telling you, if, if you don't think Jonah, Jonah, I just want to punch Jonah in the face. His face is very punchable, okay? Especially by the time we finish this story, you're going to be like, this dude, he deserves a karate chop in the throat or something. Like he just, oh. So he takes his ball and he goes home. He's like, fine. And he goes to the east side of the city and he makes camp. And I don't know exactly why, but I think what he's doing is he's expecting the Assyrians to blow it. And he's like, I'm gonna be here when it all burns to the ground. I've got a front row seat for the show. When they mess up and God smites them with his smiting power, it's gonna work out. It's gonna be great. So he goes to the east side of town. He sits on the east side of town. He's overlooking this. And it's hot. And so God sends this, this leafy vine is the way it describes it in scripture. This leafy vine, it grows up over him and it gives him shade. It says that Jonah was comforted and he was happy in his shade. And I love how God works because then God, the next day God sends a worm to eat the leafy vine and the vine goes away, it withers up. And then God sends this blazing heat and this east wind. And throughout scripture, the east wind is representative of the judgment of God, which is this, again, this is so ironic that God sends his judgment on the man of God, but the pagans, the, the lost people are the ones who are worshiping God. So he's sitting there and his vine is gone. He's getting hot. This east wind is blowing this heat onto him. And literally he gets to this place where he says, death is certainly better than living like this. And then listen to the way God responds in verse nine. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant 
that died. Is it right for you to be angry that the plant died? And listen to Jonah's response. Yes, even angry enough to die. This is Jonah's last words recorded in scripture. This is the last thing we hear from Jonah. God used him to bring this credible move of God, this revival, literally a revival of people coming to faith in God. And he's more worried about his discomfort. I'm not happy because you didn't do it the way I wanted. I'm not happy because I was comfortable with my vine and you killed it. You took away my vine. You took away my comfort. See, Jonah was more interested in his own comfort than he was the things of God. This caused him to be selfish. It caused him to choose his own path. And listen to what God says. Verse 10, the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it here. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And that's the end of the story. He says, Jonah, even if you don't feel compassion on the people, 120,000, what about the animals? At least. But Jonah didn't get it. See, Jonah was busy doing his own thing, walking his own path. He was not a successful prophet. He was not esteemed. This is a tragedy. And it's all because he wanted to do it his way. He wouldn't be obedient to God. God sent storms to try to get him on the right path, try to get him where he wanted him to be. And ultimately he was physically there, but his heart was not. And I guess my challenge to you today is really simple. Will will you say yes to God? I mean, this is so simple. There are two paths before us, God's way and my way. Which one are you gonna choose? So it's easy to think about it in terms of salvation. Like, I want to say yes to God. I don't want to go to hell. But it's not just about that decision. It's about that decision every single day. Every single day, I have to make a decision to do things God's way. I I need to respond to things God's way instead of my way. I need to approach my marriage God's way instead of my way. I need to approach my kids God's way instead of my way. Every single day, not even every single day, maybe every single moment, I have to conscientiously say, God, I choose you. God, I'm gonna be obedient to you instead of obedient to what I feel. God, even though it doesn't make sense, even though I don't understand it, I don't need to, I'm gonna be obedient. I'm gonna follow your path instead of my path. Now, I'd love to say your life will be easier. It's not gonna be easier. It's gonna be better. Your life will be better. It'll be richer. It'll be fuller. It's still gonna be hard. There's still gonna be setbacks. There's still gonna be storms that come your way. How's that for a sales pitch? Your life's gonna be really hard, but it's gonna be so good if you'll just trust him. If you'll say, God, I'm gonna be obedient to you. I'm gonna pick your way instead of my way. Hey, I'm gonna turn it over to Pastor Colin there in Blairsville. He'll close out our time and he'll give you a chance to respond. I love you guys more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So today, I mean, it really does boil down to this question. Will you do things God's way or are you gonna keep doing things your way? 
And maybe you are neck deep in a storm. Maybe you are dealing with something nobody else knows about. And what you have to say is, God, is this a corrective storm that you're sending because of sin in my life? And if it is, show me what you wanna show me. Correct my path, get me on the right course. Because maybe it's not a, a storm that's corrective. Maybe it's just a storm that God wants to show you something from. Because every storm in our life, God uses for his purpose, if we'll let him. So maybe you're here and you're dealing with a storm. I want you to know that storm doesn't have to last forever. We wanna pray with you. We wanna help you. But maybe you're here today and you recognize, man, I've been choosing my way for way too long. It's gotten me off course. I've literally gone the opposite direction of what God told me to do because I've been choosing my own way and I'm done choosing my own way. So I wanna give you that chance today. Because the things that we're seeing in our world, you know, a minute ago, Kim mentioned revival going on that seems to be going on at some different campuses throughout our nation, different places, which is really exciting. But do you know how that starts? It's by people, individuals, and then groups of people collectively saying, God, I choose your way instead of my way. God, I choose to be uncomfortable. God, I, I, I choose salvation of people over the, my leafy plant. God, I choose your way over my way. And we begin to see God move. That's what I wanna invite you into today. It's just saying, God, I want what you want more than what I want. So let's pray together. God, we honor you today and we're grateful for your love and your mercy. And Lord, I pray, I pray that I as the pastor would lead the way in submission to you and obedience to you, that we would say yes to you in everything, no matter how uncomfortable it may be, no matter how little sense it might make, no matter how wild it may seem, whenever you say go, help us to be obedient to say yes, no matter what it is. Help us to choose your way over my way. God, I pray that that would be the case as a church, but God, let it be the case for each of us as individuals as well, that we would say yes to you in little things in our lives, those little moments in day to day that we would say yes to you. God, we know that there are gonna be difficult days and challenges and setbacks and failures and brokenness, but God, your way is better. So God, we choose you today. I do pray for the people that are walking through storms right now that are trying to navigate those storms. I just pray that you would bring correction to them where they need to have correction, get them on the right path and get them to the place that you want them to be. I pray that their hearts would be submitted to you, that they would trust you through their storms. God, minister, show them what you need to show them. Help them to learn what you want them to learn as they navigate the storms. God, I pray that we would say yes to you. I pray for the, the people here, the people watching online, who maybe have rejected you in the past, or maybe they've been to a church service, and maybe they even said a prayer, but the reality is they've never really walked with you. They've never really chosen your path. Let today be the day that we say yes to you, that we are all in, in every way. So we gotta have your way with us over these next few moments. Now, nobody's looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here and you would say to me, Mel, I, I wanna choose God's way. I wanna choose Christ today. I've been choosing my own way too long. I'm tired of it. I can't do it any longer. It's led me to storms. It's led me to problems. It's led me to failures. And I, I can't live this way anymore. I choose God. I choose Jesus. If that's you, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray for you. And if you wanna be included in that prayer, would you slip your hand up real high where I can see it? And you can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, pray for me. Include me in that prayer today. 
Yeah, thank you. I see you. Praise the Lord. Yeah, thank you. A couple hands on my left. Thank you so much. Who else? Say, Mel, include me in that prayer. That's me. Pray for me. Yeah, thank you, ma'am. I see you on my right. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to be included in that prayer today? You say, Mel, that's me. Pray for me. All right. Romans chapter 10, verse nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so we're gonna make a, a, a confession today with our mouth that, that we're gonna continue to make with our lives from this moment forward. And, and we're gonna say a prayer that's not just from our mouth, we're repeating like robots, but we're gonna pray this from our hearts to God. And I'm gonna give you the words to say, but it's your prayer. So let's pray this prayer together, everyone in the room. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your one and only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, I choose your way. Take my life and use me for your glory. I'm never going back to my old ways or my old life, but from now on, I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give God a round of applause today? Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Scripture says you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So what that means is you're still going to have storms. You're still going to have problems. But Jesus is going to help you navigate those storms and problems. And we want to help you take the next step. Um, like I said earlier, we make a decision for Christ, but then there's decisions every single day we have to make uh, to choose God's way. And we wanna help you learn how to do that. And the simplest thing for you to do would be to text us. You can text Summit PA to the number 94,000, whether you're here in the room or online, let us know about your decision. Or you can simply take the card out of the seat back in front of you, fill it out, take it to the info center when we finish in just a moment. One of our team is gonna be there to, to connect with you and meet you and uh, get you some resources to begin to grow in your faith. Here's what's gonna happen right now. Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us in a final song. While we're singing this last song, our prayer team and some of our staff are gonna be available to pray with you. And if you have needs of any kind, we'd be honored and delighted to pray for you. So maybe you need a physical healing. Maybe you need a miracle in your life. Maybe you're here today and you struggle with God's way every day. You struggle making your own decisions and going your own way. One of the things that will help you in your life is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we would love to pray for you in those in that way so if you would like us to pray with you about that our team would be delighted as well do me a favor if you don't have to leave don't sneak out i know we're one a few minutes longer than we normally do but let's just pray and take a few minutes as we worship this last song stand to your feet we'll worship together before we go guys i love you more than you know and i'm so glad that i get to be your pastor have an awesome day we'll see you next weekend if you enjoy this content please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.